Well, praise God, I want to talk to you today about fathering like the father. And Damon in his prayer uh, touched on the name Abba. And so I want to read the scripture to you from Romans 8, verse 12 through 17. It says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. I also want to read to you out of Ezekiel 22 and verse 30 to reflect on the kind of men that God is looking for in this earth to be fathers. It says, And I sought for a man among them that uh, should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. See, God is seeking some good men to establish protection and prayer. That's what this paints a very clear picture of, is the hedge and stand in the gap. That word stand in the gap is one that uh, ties back to the root word that leads to the word intercession, to pray for, to stand in that gap for somebody else between God and them. When we pray for our children, when we pray for our families, we put ourselves between God and our children and what are we doing? We're establishing that hedge, if you will, to protect the land. What's the greatest protection that can be offered? Is the protection of mankind. What did God do? What did Abba Father do? Our daddy in heaven, what did he do to stand in the gap and to build a hedge of protection for his children in this earth? He gave his only begotten son. He sent his son to intercede on our behalf. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. It declares that he makes intercession for us day and night on our behalf as children of God. Jesus is praying for us to the Father. When you think about the prerequisites of being like Abba Father, being a father like him, being a, a daddy, if you will. I love that word daddy. We know that there's an affection in that term. My children normally do not walk in the room and say, Father, <laughs> right? We've seen that. You know, Wade does sometimes, but he does it because of a commercial he's seen. He'll walk in, Father, may I have some more, right? <laughs> and I'm like, get out of here, boy. He goes, Daddy. <laughs> so uh, pre prerequisites to be like Abba Father, if you will, dads, we need to have fortitude. We need to have faithfulness, and we need to have fruitfulness. We need to have fortitude, we need to have faithfulness, and we, we need to have a fruitfulness in our life. And to do so, there's some things we need to learn. And the things we need to learn, those of us who have, have walked in that walk with God long enough, have come to these places at some point or another, or are moving towards them. And that is that to be like Abba, we need to learn how to lean on Abba. We need to know how to go to our Heavenly Father 
and lean on him for strength and for guidance and for direction to lead like him. And so we need to learn how to lead like him and we need to learn how to love like him. Those three things are probably the most important things as fathers. If we can, as fathers, learn to lean on the father, then lead like the father and love like the father, it has an amazing impact on our children's lives. Could you say amen? amen? You'll not be a good father until you re recognize what it is that your heavenly father has done for you. It doesn't mean you can't do stuff for your kids. It doesn't mean you can't show them love. But ultimately, what would that love lead to? If you give them all the earthly love, you give them things in this life, but your leadership guides them into an eternity without God, is you have guided them into a place of being separated from Abba for all eternity. So as fathers, we need to first learn how to lean on Abba Father so that what we're leading our children into is an eternal life. We're leading them into the eternal love of God, if you will. And if we're not doing that, then basically we're setting them up for a very short-lived life of blessing. So before I go too deep on this subject, I want to clear up some challenges for our ladies who face the day-to-day -day walk alongside uh, the men in their life uh, who are fathers to their children. They do this, I would hope, with grace and love and, uh, so that they can fill their, fulfill their God-given responsibilities along with dads. This comes from the men's thesaurus. And here's how it goes, ladies. So this is for you. When a man says it would take too long to explain, he means I have no idea how it works. <laughs> when a man says, take a break, honey, you're working too hard, he means I can't hear the game over the vacuum cleaner. <laughs> when a man says that's interesting, dear, he means... Are you still talking? <laughs> the guys laughing the loudest do that. <laughs> when a man says it's a guy thing, he means there is no rational thought pattern connected with this. <laughs> and you have no chance of making it logical. <laughs> when a man says, can I help with dinner? He's really saying, why isn't dinner ready yet? Damon, you're killing me, man. Oh. I'm sitting here thinking that one happens a lot at home, doesn't it? <clears throat> when a man says, uh, uh, huh, uh, sure, honey, and yes, dear, he means absolutely nothing. It's a conditional response. <laughs> when a man says, you know how bad my memory is, he means... I can remember the theme song to Hogan's Heroes, the phone number of my first girlfriend I kissed, and the vehicle identification numbers of every car I ever owned. But yes, I forgot your birthday. Some of you have done that before. I thank God that Angie's birthday is right after Christmas. So easy to remember, and she gets her present on Christmas Day. She just can't open it till the next day. When a man says, oh, don't fuss, I just cut myself, it's no big deal. He means, I have probably severed a limb. <laughs> I'll bleed to death before I admit it. So call 911. When a man says, 
I can't find it. He means I didn't fall in, excuse me, it didn't fall into my outstretched hand, so I, completely, I am completely clueless. <laughs> when a man says, I heard you, he means I haven't the foggiest clue what you just said. I'm hoping desperately that I can fake it through, <laughs> through well enough so that you'll not spend the next three days yelling at me. <laughs> when a man says, you know I could never love anyone else, he means... I'm used to the way you yell at me and realize it could be worse. <laughs> this is horrible, isn't it? What am I doing reading this in a church? The reality is that we're all sinners saved by grace, and so much of this is true, unfortunately. When a man says, you look terrific, he means, oh, please don't try on another outfit. We're already late. When a man says, I'm... Uh, not lost, I know exactly where we are, he means no one will ever see us alive again. <laughs> when a man says, I don't think I can go today, he means shopping is not a sport. And no, I'm never going to think of it that way. When a man says, I don't remember saying that, it's because he means anything I may have said six months ago is inadmissible in an argument. In fact, all past comments become null and void after seven days. Uh, hallelujah. Angie goes there, and I'm kind of like, huh? When a man says, that's not what I meant, he means, if something I said can be interpreted two ways, and the one way makes you sad or angry, I meant it the other way. Ah, oh, hallelujah. If your husband says, honey, what color is this? He means all men see in 16 colors, like uh, Windows default setting. Peach, for example, is a fruit, not a color. Pumpkin is also a fruit. I have no idea what taupe is. So anyway, that is for you ladies at the thesaurus as you walk alongside your men and help them to be godly men who reflect the love of the Father in the life of your children. I know there's a lot of single parents here today as well. And so what I'll say about that is this, is that you can have no greater father than an Abba Father to be reflected in your children's lives. And a mom or a single dad, either way it goes, a single parent has God at their side. The Bible says God is a father to the fatherless. And I know that all too well because of the lack of fathers in my life. Many men in my life, but never an Abba, never a, a, a daddy, never someone who, who saw me as the most important part of his life, but rather saw himself as the most important, important part of his life. Never had an Abba in my life until I met Abba God. When I met God as my heavenly father and started to realize that I could have a day-to-day -day walk with him that was close and intimate and real, that was when my life really changed. And that's when I really understood what the gospel was. God gave his son so that he could gain a son. Or God gave his son so that he could gain many sons and daughters. And that's exactly what it says in that passage in Romans, that we are sons of God. And we are such by the spirit of God living in us that gives us the ability to cry out, Abba, Father, that we can come, Daddy, help me. We can come, Daddy, you know, spend time with me. And when my kids come, that's exactly it. Daddy, would you? Daddy, Daddy. That term, Daddy, is that affectionate, 
personal term. So I want to thank God for all of our fathers in the room today, but I want to challenge our fathers to do these three things, to learn to lean on God, to learn to lead, lead like him, and to learn to love like him. Let's take a look. Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Men who have learned to lean on the Lord lead like this. They look to God for their guidance. In uh, first, the area of salvation. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You know, women tend to uh, be uh, quicker to turn their life over to God. Did you know that? You know, most people would not be in the church if it wasn't for all the moms who have prayed us in the church, who, who's coming to, to, to Christ because your mama prayed you to Christ. And so uh, there's something about a lady that knows how to just yield and depend upon. That's how God made them. That's why in a marriage there's that uh, deferring that can take place in a marriage where they look to the husband to be the protector, to be the guardian, if you will, to be the leader of the household. They tend to yield over a whole lot easier than we men do. Why? Because we can get the job done. We'll work for it. And the problem with salvation, learning to lean on the Lord, is, is really coming to that place where you say, you know what, I can't work for my salvation. I have to lean upon the Lord and trust in him for salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. And by doing such as dads, this is how we uh, show forth to our children that they need Christ, is that they see that we need him. And if we as fathers are too tough to need Jesus, guess what? Don't be shocked when your kids don't need Jesus. We need Jesus, amen? Jesus solves the dilemma, if you will, with Matthew 18, 3 on this one. He says, assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Now think about that, dads. A lot of us grew up. I was 19 years old when I gave my life to Christ. So I wasn't a little kid anymore. I was an adult man. I'm going to do life myself. And not having fathers. I remember my philosophy of life at 19, 18 when I entered the military. But at 19 years old, when I gave my life over to God, the amazing thing was is I had set out on a course of my own because of all the abuse and all the neglect growing up through that as a kid. What happened was I set out on a course. I'm never trusting anybody. I'm going to trust me. I'm going to take care of me, and that's all I'm going to care about is me. And at 19 years old, I'm sitting in a church. I hear the gospel preach about how God the Father so loved me that he gave his only begotten son. That if I believe on him, I won't perish but have everlasting life. Now, I'd gone to church as a kid. I knew those stories. I understood them, if you will, as a child, and I loved Jesus. But becoming a man... And having been hurt and mistreated, I'm going to take care of me and I can't trust anyone. Why? Because I didn't have the example in a father to show me what the heavenly father was like. And it was at the preaching of the word of God that a revelation hit my heart that my heavenly father, Abba Father in heaven, my daddy in heaven is not like the daddies I've had here on earth. They had become a stumbling block for me that I couldn't think of God that way. I saw God as this supernatural killjoy in heaven just waiting for me to mess up and slap me around. Why? 
because I had been slapped around growing up my whole life, beaten and mistreated. And so that's how I perceived God. So the example of a father here to reflect the character and the behavior of God the Father, I hadn't seen that. But it was declared to me, and my heart longed for it. Because my heart longed for it, I was very open to receive that message and to turn my life over to my Heavenly Father. And He, frankly, has been the greatest Father in my life. Now, interesting enough, He's rewarded me with men in the church, you know, from, from first coming to Christ all the way to now, he's rewarded with me with men in my life that follow God, that are older than me, that take on, if you will, a fatherly counsel in my life, a fatherly relationship. They speak into my life, and I enjoy them, and I fight with them just like, you know, sons do. Wade fights with me, you know, and I fight with them. We don't necessarily see everything the same, and that's okay. But they're godly men who speak into my life, and iron sharpeneth iron as one man does another. Amen? Amen. Fathers are put in children's lives to sharpen them. The second thing we need to lean on the Lord for is we need to lean on the Lord for our strength. Isaiah 40, 31, or 30 through 31 says, Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Psalms 147 and 10. He that delights himself in the, uh, not in the strength of the horse, he takes no pleasure in the legs of man. You don't take pleasure in your own strength. You take pleasure in the strength that God provides for you through his grace and your faith toward him. Romans 5 says that. that we've been saved by grace through faith. And it actually flips it in that same chapter and says, by faith through grace. That the relationship of our faith in God, that he is there for us, his grace is bestowed upon us. And oh, by the way, we only come to him because his grace draws us to him. And in the midst of that, what he does is bestows faith on us. Well, I thought faith was mine. Well, God's given to every man the measure of faith. We don't have anything that God has not blessed us with. And when we acknowledge him for that, truly what we are doing. Look, think about it this way, dads. And my kids, sometimes they just don't get this. They really think their room is theirs. <laughs> and it is. And I, I really don't bother them until it isn't clean. And then all of a sudden, that room is mine. It's like, your room needs to be clean. It's like, well, it's my, and I've got this a couple times. Well, it's my room. You see this house? This house is mine. And because this house is mine, your room is mine, and it's given to you on loan. I want my room clean, right? Because it's your room until it's dirty, and then guess what? It's my room because I want my house clean. Amen? And it's the same way. God gives us, right, that privilege of life. Everything we have has been bestowed upon us by him. And how we handle what he has given us is called Stewardship. We are stewards of what God has blessed. I am a steward of my children. They belong to the Lord. Children are a blessing of the Lord, the Bible says. A heritage from God. And I have to stand before the Lord and give an account for Wade one day because he's just been given to me on loan. He's been given to me to steward over. And how I raise him 
is very important. How I raise my daughters is very important. You know, watching that video, I thought it was great. I have sat beside my daughters before and texted a guy. And they did just that. It's like, Dad! And then they read it and they're like, eh. Why? Because, you know, I'm trying to teach them that if a man doesn't treat you the way I treat you, then that's not the man for you. You see that? And in doing such, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm reflecting the things of God, the word of God and the ways of God. And what am I saying to them? Look, I'm leading on the, leaning on the Lord and I'm leading you in the ways of the Lord and I'm loving you the way that God loves you. And don't give anybody place in your life that doesn't love you the way God loves you because if they don't love you the way God loves you, They'll never lead you the way of the Lord. And trust me, they'll lean on you for everything they want. That was a great place for you to say amen. You all been in relationships like that, haven't you? We need to lean on the Lord, men, for our supply. Philippians 4.19. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. We all want to be the breadwinner, mighty hunter, but ultimately, we need to see ourselves as leaning upon the Lord for our supply. You know, how many of you men work hard? And you put a day in, right? You go to work and you go out there to win bread or to, to, to make that living for your family. Ladies, I know a lot of you work too. It, it's Father's Day. I honored you on Mother's Day, so give me some slack. <laughs> and so, so here's the deal. We go work hard. And at the end of the day, what happens is, is it's like, okay, I've worked hard. And I got my paycheck, and so, you know, this is all mine. I don't need God in my life. Let me tell you where that's put to the test. Do you honor the Lord with your tithe? That's how it's tested. It's not tested any other way. Is that you receive from your hard labor, but all this is mine. Even my life and all my energy and everything that I have is mine. See, you don't lean upon the Lord, and when you don't lean upon the Lord, you will not lead to the Lord. You won't lead like the Lord. You know, Jesus himself paid his tithes. He encouraged people to pay his tithes, didn't he? Oh, now I'm touching on a subject. This is Father's Day, man. It's supposed to be real nice. It is because I promise you this. You honor your heavenly father and he will lift you up and he will bless you so that you are honorable among all men. That's what his word declares is that if you put him first in your life, what place do you think you are in his? It's like, well, I'm first in his life anyway because of what Jesus did. Absolutely. That is true. You are. But that doesn't mean you get to live in it unless you put yourself in the midst of it. You know, let me give you an example. Your, your kid comes up to you and says, hey, I want 100 bucks. And you as a dad say, sure, no problem. <laughs> What's the first question out of your mouth? What, God doesn't parent, you know, better than we do? <laughs> hey, Lord, I want, you know, and it's like, for what? See, for, for my kids, I want to know that they're going to honor the Lord with their life. I want to know what they're doing. What, what do you need $100? My thing would be 100 bucks. You know, if they come and ask for a dollar, it's like, yeah, here's a dollar. I mean, they're getting a piece of bubble gum or something, you know what I mean? <laughs> I want 100 bucks. What do you need $100 for, right? You're getting into something you probably shouldn't be in. Come over here. Sit down. You know, I want to show you something. Look in the backyard. You see that tree out there? Yeah. I'm like, in about a month, 
money's just going to start springing out all over that thing. <laughs> and once it does, then you can go out and pluck the money off of that tree. <laughs> right? Where am I going with that? How many of you ever had a parent? Look, money doesn't grow on trees, right? How many of you wish it did? And I want to tell you that money does grow on trees. Money grows on one tree. Your supply grows on one tree. And he is called the tree of life. And you can put your trust in him. And when you do put your trust in him, as the psalmist said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor their seed begging bread. God declares that over us. And so be righteous, fathers. Live your life in such a way that you lean on the Lord for your supply. The acknowledgement of that is to honor him with the tithe, to honor him with your giving, to honor him with your life and how you handle your money. You know what you care about by one simple thing. You open your checkbook or look at your bank statement and you'll see what you spend your money on, where your money goes, and that's what matters to you. Is God on that list anywhere is what I'll submit to you today. We need to lean on the Lord for soundness, soundness of mind, reasoning, and wisdom. James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given him. Now, liberally, right? And, and right here it says, without reproach. You know, God doesn't look at any place that I lack wisdom in my life. You know, I fall short in this area of my life and wisdom, so... God holds his hand, well, no, you know, I look at you at reproach on the areas where you lack wisdom. No, rather God, when I come to him to ask for wisdom, I seek his counsel by his word. I'm like, God, I need your help to make this decision or that decision in life. I want to know what you think about it. When I yield to God that way, God doesn't go, well, why don't you know that? He doesn't respond with reproach towards me. What he does is he's like, well, I would love to help you out. Because when your kids come and ask you for advice, you're like, get out of here, you idiot. No, no, come here, sit down. Now, I grew up with, you know, that kind of upbringing. It's like, are you stupid? It's like, uh, well, maybe. <laughs> Could you help me out in that area? Here's the deal. When we go to God, it's like, I don't know something. And we ask him, God doesn't look upon us with reproach. God gives to us liberally his wisdom as we seek him for it. And we want his guidance. God is more than happy to give that to us. It gives us, fathers, a soundness of mind when we lean on the Lord for that wisdom. Look, uh, this is the one of only, this is one of only two prayers any man can pray, which the answer is always yes. Right? Right here. We ask God for wisdom. He will give to us liberally. Here's another one, Romans 10, 13. And that is, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's no question mark there. There is a dot. It's a period. If you call on the name of the Lord, if you seek him out, you shall be saved. Ha! Huh. If you call on the name of the Lord concerning your kids, you shall be saved. If you call on the name of the Lord for, for salvation because you're a sinner and you have fallen short of the glory of God and you can only have eternal life through Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. If you call on the Lord in the midst of your calamity, you shall be saved. If you call on the Lord in the midst of your marriage that's falling apart, apart you shall be saved. Because what are you doing when you call upon the Lord? You're inviting him to come and intervene and give you guidance and wisdom. The two prayers that can be answered, guaranteed. But they both go together. Because if you're going to call upon the Lord, you've got to yield to the counsel the Lord gives you to receive the blessing 
that it promises. Can somebody say amen? amen? So I thank God for the dads you've learned to lean on the Lord. And I challenge you, if you have not, to give him a chance and begin to lean up upon him. Second, men who have learned to, uh, to lead learn first and foremost to lead their flesh. According to Galatians 5, 16 through 17, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. The first thing we need to learn to lead in is learn to lead in putting our flesh under. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is not my, my life, it's his life. And I yield it over for him to give me that guidance. That's that yielding over, leaning upon him so that I can lead like him. <clears throat> the second is uh, to lead their families. Ephesians 5.23, for the husband is the head of the wife as also Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. We as dads, they say that if you get a dad, if a dad will follow Christ, the whole family will follow the Lord. In a household, if the father pursues Christ, the whole household pursues the Lord. But if the mother pursues Christ, oftentimes the report is, is the struggle is with the children wanting to follow the Lord because they'll go the way that dad's going. Now, that's not every case. But the point is, the statistics are off the charts where a dad's following the Lord, the whole household does. Where the mom is, 50-50 chance of the children following the Lord as well. So I would say that dads are very important where it comes to leadership and pursuing the Lord and their families. To be the head of the house, to be the head of the family, is to lead towards the Lord. Headship isn't being the boss. Right? I remember when I first came to Christ, and I read that scripture. And, and I also read in Genesis about Abraham. Anybody read about Abraham? Right? Do you know Sarah called Abraham Lord? That was her husband. She called him Lord, right? And so, you know, I'm the head of Angie, as Christ is the head of the church. Hey, could you get me a cup of coffee? She's like, well, your legs aren't broke. I'm like... Well, Sarah called Abraham Lord. She served him and waited on him, you know. She's like, uh-huh. The coffee's in there, honey, you know. So here's the thing is that there was many times in reading the scriptures in that traditional mindset, if you will, you can see all these examples of where women were lesser in the Bible, can't you? Anybody seen that? Do you know what's interesting about Jesus when he comes on the scene? He sets that bad boy straight, doesn't he? Do you know when he's with the woman at the, uh, at the well? Do you know what he was doing with the woman at the well? Here's a woman that's going to the well in an hour where prostitutes go to the well. There's three things going on there already. And um, he's, she's a Samaritan woman. Now, let's watch this for a second. Jesus goes and sits at the well and says, would you give me a drink of water? And she goes, you have nothing to draw water with. He goes, if you knew who was speaking to you, the gift of God that was speaking to you, you would have given him a drink of water. And he would have given you the water where you will not thirst again. <laughs> she says, 
well, our fathers say that we're to worship in the mountain and you Jews say we to go to the temple. Jesus says to her, I tell you the truth, a time is coming when the, the true worshipers will worship in truth and in spirit. It's not going to be in the synagogue and it's not going to be up on the mountain the way your fathers, the Samaritans, say it. It's going to be right here. That God's going to dwell right here and you're going to worship out of a heart that's been yielded to him and be a true worshiper who worships in, in truth and in spirit. And that dwells in you. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit, see? And so he's saying that to her. And if you remember, he's talking to her and she said, he goes, she goes, tell me more about this living water. And he says, go get your husband. And she goes, I don't have a husband. He goes, you've rightly spoken, but you haven't spoken the truth. You have had five husbands, and the one you're with now is not your husband. That's one of those jaw-dropping moments where it's like, uh. And she says, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. <laughs> you think? <laughs> you think? And so what does he do? He goes on, he's talking with her. And the disciples show up. They had gone to get food. And they come walking on the scene. And what do they say? It says this about them. They, they saw he was speaking to the Samaritan woman. And nobody asked him what he sought. She was at the well at the hour where prostitutes go to the well. They're not welcome to go with the married women. What made a woman a prostitute in that time? When men wanted sons, they wanted families. That was celebrated. What made a woman a prostitute? She had had five husbands. The one she was with was not her husband. She probably couldn't bear children is what scholars say. And so what else is she going to do? She can't take care of herself because she doesn't have a husband. She doesn't have a person to be the head of her as Christ is the head of the church. She's all alone. And so she probably sold herself so that she could make a living. Now, in that matter alone, Jesus is dealing with social justice. Here's a person rejected by society and used by men. Come on, somebody. She's a Samaritan, so there's a race issue going on there, too. And he's dealing with that because Jews don't have anything to do with Samaritans. And I would say he was dealing with, with chauvinism on a whole new level because when his disciples show up, nobody asked him what he was seeking from her. Let me tell you what he was seeking. He was seeking that which was lost, just like the Bible says. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save the lost. And he was seeking to save the lost. And the truth of it, she left that day and she went through the whole town and said, come and meet a man that's told me all about my life. And really, so many lives were touched by Jesus in that city at that time because faith increased. Then later on, when John and Peter, when they go to Samaria, Samaria, the same Holy Spirit that had fallen on the Jews, that had fallen on the day of Pentecost, was now falling on the Gentiles. And it was the moment that the... the, the um, if you will, the council in, uh, in Jerusalem, the apostles, acknowledge that it was fulfillment of Scripture that he would save the Gentiles. And they established that, you know what? God is working among the Gentiles just like he is the Jews. And I don't know about you. There may be a few Jews in here today, but I'm a Gentile. And I thank God for that day where Jesus set things in motion and he dealt with all those little... Um, um, discrepancies, if you will, that could be held by the law under the Jew. Now, fathers, what I've just done is I take a moment to tell a story 
from the Bible that addresses the same issues we face in this day and age. We need to be the kind of fathers that lean on the word of God so much so that we can share stories with our children and lead them in the ways of God and show them that it wasn't just back there that the word of God worked. It wasn't just back there that the word of God was speaking to racist issues. It wasn't just back there that the word of God was speaking to chauvinism. It wasn't just back there, but it's here and now. Jesus said it straight concerning men being the head of our wives is that we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church in so much that he laid his life down for his bride. And that's what we're supposed to do as a head of a household. You know, the more I love my wife, and even thinking about last week, and it moves me to tears, you know, because when Vanessa read that letter last week about her view of Angie and I's marriage over 23 years, Angie and I had not heard that. And uh, when she read it... Um, you know, just to see her love for the Lord, to see her respect for marriage, to see her respect for family, you know, touches me as a father. And, and I'll say this, the only way Angie and I have been able to lead our children, you know, in good times and bad, has been the fact that we lean upon the Lord and we lead towards the Lord. We point the way to him so that they can know his love for them and that they will also love the Lord. Amen. The uh, third thing is um, leading the fallen. Leading the fallen. Hosea 6, 7. But they, like men, have transgressed the covenant. They have, uh, they have dealt treacherously against me. And so they, those who transgress the covenant, those who, who don't follow the Lord, it is our place, fathers, to show that people can be led to Christ. To show that the love of God can win in any situation. It's like, well, everybody, you know, out there, they don't want anything to do with Jesus. No, they don't want anything to do with religion. I promise you that when they come to understand the love of Christ, they want something to do with that. They may not want something to do with the requirement on their part, but that's why it's so important for them to sense and know the grace and the love of God before it ever moves to a place of where there's requirement. Why? I promise you, that if they see the gift and the, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that God so loved you. If they can see that first, the requirement doesn't matter. I've heard it this way. Look, we catch fish. The Holy Spirit is the one that cleans them. You know, I've had folks that have come to church here and they walk out front and they're smoking a cigarette. And I'll have somebody run up to me, Pastor, there is a person out there smoking a cigarette. I'm like, okay, so what do you want to do? Well, what are you going to do about it? It's like, well, I'm just going to let them smoke their cigarette and pray for them. I've had people leave the church over that. Guess what? God bless you. Good riddance. Why? Because you'll never preach the good news. You'll just steadily give people the bad news. Most of us know the bad news. Most of us know we fall short of the glory of God. Anybody in here feel like you're perfect? I see some wives, elbow, and husbands out there. <laughs> Ladies, it's Father's Day. Be nice. <laughs> None of us are perfect. We need to know how to relate uh, the good news. We need to know how to share the love of Christ. We need to live holy lives so that people know there is a hope that Christ can be formed in you. I mean, I don't, I don't think it needs to be something to where as believers, it's like, well, Jesus just can't accomplish 
in me what the Bible says he can accomplish in me. I would say that that lacks faith. And we need to be the kind of men, Dad, that reflect the love of God in such a way that also leads people to live their lives for God. So leading the fallen, Romans 5, 12 says this, Therefore, just as through one man's sin entered the world, and the death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. It says, Therefore, as though one man's offense or sin, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. His act, his act and his act alone, because he is the only one that ever came to the place of perfection, has provided for all of us the righteousness of God that we are in Christ Jesus. And that is the only way that we measure up to the righteousness of God is through his son, Jesus Christ. We strive, but we fall short. And it's in that place of falling short that we so know our need for Jesus Christ and should be so thankful for the love of God that has been poured out through his son. That is what it's like to lean on the Lord and to lead to the Lord through the love of God. And then finally, men who have learned to love is the father, if you will, is a lover. The Bible says that God is love. John uh, 4, it says that beloved, uh, let me do it this way. I always remember it better. The song kind of comes to mind. Beloved, um, he that, uh, uh, let us love one another. Thank you. Uh, let us love one another for love is of God. He that loveth not, loveth not God for God is love. And so when we see that John 4 tells us that God is love, then if we relate to the Father, Abba, and we have that relationship. What do you think he bestows on us, imparts to us, and gives us in that relationship? Is he gives us love. And dads, let me say this. That's the one thing I know. If with my children, with my children, if I reflected what my father was like, that would never come to them. But because I've come to know what God's love is towards me, the more I relate to him, the more I understand this is what it is to respond to my children in love. The way God responds to me, the way God is towards me through his word and by his spirit in that relationship, I strive. I'm not perfect. I strive to be like that to my children. Excuse me. Let me give you an example of how we do that even when we're wrong, dads. If you wrong your child... You raise your voice at your child. Has anybody ever done that? Ever yelled at your kid? Get in there, you know. If I wrong my child, I repent to my child. If I act wrong to my child, I will get on my knees in front of them and ask their forgiveness. And they're like, it's okay, it's okay. Because to see their father, the one that they hold in this place of strength and high esteem, on his knees in humility before them is a little unnerving. Come on. It, de it doesn't seem to see to see our heavenly father come in the likeness of man and hang on a cross is unnerving for us. Do you get it? And when we bring ourselves low, God brought himself low. We don't need to bring him down. He already brought himself down as low as it can go. He took the sin of the world upon himself. He who knew no sin became sin and brought himself as low as you can get so that he could lift us up. We bring ourselves low 
so we can lift our kids up in those moments. Because what do they see? They've not just seen the example of leading and strength and all those things, but they see the leading example of God's love through humility and what we know to be repentance. And if we model repentance for them, it's a lot easier for them to walk in repentance themselves, to walk in humility themselves. Now I've seen, and, and when you're young, man, it's difficult. You haven't done enough wrong and realized that you've done enough wrong to, to be like, you know what, man, I'm messed up as anybody else is, and I need people's grace as much as I should give it, right? I need their grace as much as I need to give grace. But when you're young, you know, you tend to be more idealistic and you don't think that way. But if they've seen an example of it, it'll be a whole lot easier for them to give that grace to others. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3, that lays out the, the greatest form of, of what love is meant to look like. It says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned but have not uh, love, it profits me nothing. First uh, Corinthians sixteen twenty two. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be, if you will, accursed. The love of Christ. So there's an interesting thing here that the love of Christ is the only, having the love of Christ in you is the only thing that will manifest that love towards others. Human love does not measure up to what God's is. There are people who do things in a loving manner to others, but yet will, quote unquote, love that person into an eternity separated from Abba Father. We need to love people in such a way that we don't hide the gospel. We need to love them in such a way that where we put Jesus out front and people get to meet him because that's eternal love. And eternal love is far greater than temporal love. And we've got to make sure that we do that as fathers. If you will, loving in our families that we would uh, cover uh, under the idea of our leadership in our families is that we come to that place of admonishing our children and keeping love. Anybody ever had their children fight with one another? I'm working towards wrapping up. You ever fight with each other? As a parent, the thing I cannot handle the most is when my kids fight with each other. I, it just, I feel like my heart's being ripped out to see my kids at odds with one another. And so I'll straighten it up. Some of you have heard this story before, is that... Um, and if you've ever noticed, the judgment of God has come on mankind before. And, you know, what did it come on mankind for? The way people are treating each other. That's why Jesus sums up the commands in two. One, the first one that's most important, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself is the second one that's like unto it. Look, get along because if you're not getting along, you hate your brother who you can see and you say you love God, you're a liar. You got to work those things out. How we treat each other is a reflection of whether or not we really love God and his love has been bestowed on us. So here's the deal. With my kids, I take God's example on that. It's kind of like, you all get along or I'm going to be your common enemy. So they get to fight and I'm like, I'm going to spank you all. But I didn't do it. They, they did this. Well, you did that though and you know how it goes. And I'm like, well, you all better work it out or I'm going to paddle you both. But they, 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 I'm like, I'm just telling you. 
I don't want to talk about it anymore. Go work it out. See, it's, they got to love each other, but they don't love me. It tears my heart out. But this was wrong and that's wrong. I don't, that doesn't matter. What matters is how are you going to work through that to maintain a unity in the spirit of love and the bond of peace? How are you going to do that? And so they go out on the front porch. I'm sitting in my chair, you know, reading. They go out on the front porch and shut the door. And I run over to the door. And God doesn't have to do that because he can hear and see everything, right? I, I have to physically get close. And I'm listening. It's like, you did this, though. You know you did, but you did this. And they're going back and forth, right? And, uh, and then I hear Danielle start to reason. It's like, man, daddy's going to spank us both. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to be spanked. Neither do I. So I'm sorry. Well, I'm sorry, too. Well, I love you. I, I love you, too. And I, I shouldn't have done that. And, then, and I'm like, <laughs> And they come, they come in the house. Daddy, we worked it out. And they're holding each other. We worked it out. And we forgave each other. I'm like, well, good, awesome. Let's go get ice cream. They're like, really? Yeah, absolutely. We're getting ice cream. Why? Because I am proud of you. And look, you know, some people say that, that you know, God's grace, it's unmerited favor. You don't have to earn it. So can you misbehave and the grace of God just going to be poured out on you? No. Paul the Apostle makes that clear. He says, should you continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Absolutely not. We should strive to live for God, knowing that we are going to fall short and we do need his grace. We still need the love of God to be poured out on us in those difficult times. And it's that that gives us the ability to share it with our children, to raise them in that, that way, where they've got love for others who fall short as well. And I'm telling you right now, if there's anything missing in society today, it's that kind of love that has a righteous requirement. It has a righteous requirement, but it doesn't demand that you meet every aspect of it. It's given freely, but it invites you to live for God. It invites you to live another way. It's what I've always said about grace, is grace doesn't take you by the hand and say, hey, let's go get in sin. Grace takes you by the hand and says, hey, let's get out of that. Jesus' love and what he gave us through the work of the cross was to deliver us from the works of sin and usher us into the works of righteousness. And there's no greater work of Christ than the love of God to be poured out through his son. And it's poured into our lives so that we can pour it into other people's lives. So dads, challenge you today. Three things. Learn to lean on the Lord. Learn to lead like the Lord. And learn to love like the Lord. Stand your feet with me if you would. <clears throat> Father, I thank you so much for all of our dads in this room today. And, and Father, I just uh, pray right now. I'm going to ask you to do this. Um, uh, kids, wives, whatever. Uh, your dad's right there next to you. Um, just lay your hands on them. Lay your hands on your dad. You all can come up here while I pray. Come on. That's fine. Hey, man, I want to be prayed for too. But here's, here's what I want to do. I want to challenge you to know this. That the way you treat one another, watch, holding your fathers, 
holding, and if you're a single mom, that's fine too. Lay your hands on your single moms because God through her is the one that fathers you. So, Father, right now, I just pray for all of our dads in the room. I pray for our families that, Lord, the harmony, Lord, the unity of the Spirit, Lord, the love of Christ would fill our homes. I pray for the men in this church, Lord God, the fathers, that, Lord, they will exhibit the love of the Father, that they would be able to respond to their children, Lord, just as the Word defines, that they would lean on you, they would lead to you, and, Lord, that they would love like you. I pray, God, that just as the Scripture says, I've written unto you, children, because your sins are forgiven you, First John. And I've written unto you, young men, because you've overcome the wicked one. And I've written unto you, fathers, because you've known the Father from the beginning. And I pray that the Father's love would fill every father in this room's heart. And that, God, that would be poured through them into their children, into their wives, and, Lord, even the people that they relate to on a weekly basis, that they would see something different about us. We exhibit the character of our Heavenly Father, Abba. And, Father, they see that same Daddy anointing, Lord God, in our lives as we lead our families and we love them, Lord. I thank you for every person in this room. I ask you bless the rest of their day together. I ask you bless our fathers, Lord. Uh, shock them. Uh, I already know, Lord God, that, that you're able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask, hope, or even think. And if you do that as our Heavenly Father, I pray that our hearts would be full of faith, that, God, we can do that for our families as well. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said... Amen. God bless you all. Have a great Father's Day.